Uh, we love you and we wish you were here. We just got a few people that are in training and we're trying to do our best to get ready for our opening. We want to remind you that uh, this Wednesday we will be opening the doors for a one hour of prayer from 7 to 8. We're going to be gathered here to worship the Lord and to seek his face and ask God to do what only he can do. Uh, so we just want to thank you once again for joining us. A special uh, hello to my niece, Emma. Hugs and a big kiss to you. Theo loves you. I know people are getting jealous about that, but I don't really care. Let's go to the Word of God, shall we? <laughs> Let me get out of trouble here. John chapter 2. We're, gonna, we're uh, in our journey through John. That's the series that we're in. Uh, we go to today to chapter 2. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture that for many of us is familiar. Uh, and uh, I think God's going to show us something precious today. Verse 1. Of John chapter 2. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not my, our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used <clears throat> excuse me, for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign of Canaan and Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. <clears throat> All right. Now, let me begin by stating this, that sometimes we miss out on the spiritual message that is in the Scripture because we focus solely on the surface of what we just read. Uh, in John, Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verse 24, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Uh, I've titled this message today, Beneath the Surface, because we are going to look at this portion of Scripture, and, and by the Spirit of the Lord, hopefully we'll see what's beneath the surface, uh, and we'll be able to glean from that, uh, because oftentimes we forget that 
the Bible speaks in symbolisms. That's looking beneath the surface. If we only look at the surface of it, then we will miss out on the deeper meaning or the real spiritual meaning. Uh, and so looking beneath the surface often entitles un understanding what symbolisms are all about. For instance, in this passage of Scripture, on the surface, it seems that the whole focal point of everything is the people went out of wine. <clears throat> Jesus' mother went to him and said, hey, they ran out of wine. Jesus said, hey, I, I don't, what's that really got to do with me? But then ultimately, Jesus turns water into wine. And people think that sometimes this has to do with wine. In fact, some Christians like to use this text to, to justify the fact that it's okay to drink alcohol uh, wine because, hey, Jesus made water into wine, so it must be okay. Uh, but again, if we do that, then we, we miss out on the true spiritual meaning of what the Lord is trying to teach us and what the Word of God is teaching us here. Let's go down to beneath the surface. Wine in the Bible often symbolizes happiness or joy. Let's look at a couple of verses from the Bible. Psalm 104, in verse 14 through 15, it says, You, meaning God, allow them, meaning mankind, you allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad. And then in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 10, verse 19, a party gives laughter. Wine gives happiness. So, on the surface, we're thinking about wine and, and its and approval to drink, but beneath the surface, we find that wine symbolizes often happiness or joy that, especially that this world has to offer, because obviously the wine comes from grace, which comes uh, through the earth. So, biblically speaking, this wine symbolizes the happiness or the joy that this world has to offer. Now, with that in mind, Let's go back to our text because I want to share with you four things that I want to highlight, four things that are beneath the surface that we need to see today that will help us better understand what the scriptures are teaching so that you and I can get stronger spiritually. All right. Jesus' mom said, hey, the wine ran out. That brings me to the first uh, thought that's beneath the surface, and that is this. The wine, or meaning the happiness that this world offers, is limited. It will run out. Remember again, wine symbolizes the happiness or joy that this world has to offer. They ran out of wine. Here's beneath the surface where now we have a setting up that all of a sudden now that we recognize that the wine, the happiness that this life has to offer, this world has to offer is temporary. It will run out. Whatever you can name in this life that brings us happiness is temporary at best. In other words, when we look at, uh, well, you know, I love my home. My home makes me happy. Your home can burn down, right? Uh, or they could take your home away if, if you lose your job and stop making your payments. Your home is temporary. The happiness, therefore, is temporary. I love my job. And 
I could hear a pin drop. See, there's staff in the room. I thought the staff would give me an amen, but I got no amen from the staff. Please remember to pray for your pastor. You can say, I, I love my career. I love my job. Your job is temporary. What we're talking about here this morning is no matter what we are talk about in this life, it, it, it is temporary at best. It will run out. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why we find so many addictions. In this case, let's go, let's stick with the wine, the alcoholic. The, it gives you happiness momentarily, but we all know uh, if we've tasted that in the past, that ultimately you, you, you become happy, but then that happiness wears off as the alcohol wears off. So then what happens is you say, I need more alcohol. And next thing you know, you are in, in, indulging in more and more alcohol because you need more and more happiness. And it keeps running out on you. It's how I became addicted to drugs. In the beginning, yeah, drugs made me feel good, but the trap is it always runs out. The happiness always runs out. And therefore, if you want to be happy again, well, you got to do drugs again. And you got to keep doing more drugs. You get what I'm talking about. People say, oh, I get so excited. I get so happy when I, when I go gamble. Well, becoming a, a, a gambling addict is all about, I, I need that rush. And I, every time I stop gambling, it runs out. So I got to go back and I get more and more and more. Even workaholics. There are people that love their job to the measure that they live on their job. But the problem is, no matter how many hours you put in, you still got to go home eventually, you see. So in our first beneath the surface is we need to recognize that the wine of this world, whatever it might be for us, and my wine might be different than your wine, what draws what I'm drawn to to make me happy might be different what you're drawn to to make you happy. We know that it's limited. It will ultimately run out. Now, back to our text. Mary approached the Lord about the problem, and it seemed as if the Lord really wasn't interested in responding to his mother's request for help, right? He, he says, dear woman, which is, by the way, a term of affection. Uh, so he's telling, essentially, mom, I really don't have anything to do with that. My time has not yet come. And that's indicating to us something that he picked up in his mother's heart, that she wanted him to get involved so that he would begin to be revealed as Messiah. But he withheld from that in the sense of telling her, my time has not yet come to be glorified that way. In fact, it didn't happen. You read throughout the Gospels. Every time people tried to do that, uh, the Bible teaches us that nothing happened because the Lord's time had not yet come. And it wasn't until Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying in John chapter 17 where Jesus himself said, my time has now come, you see. So what he was saying to his mom is, it's not the right time for me to be positioned in such a way so as to be glorified yet. Not the way you're thinking, mom. But Mary didn't give up, did she? I mean, she, Mary demonstrated amazing faith. She didn't give up. Instead, 
Like a typical mom, maybe I would say. She turned to the servant and said, just do whatever he tells you. And then she, walked, she just walked away. Just do what he tells you to do. And obviously, that moved the heart of the Lord because now Jesus went and, and instructed the servants to go and draw water. It's interesting to me, too, that she never bothered to stop to find out or to want to know what the details were of how Jesus would do the miracle. All she told the servants is, whatever he tells you to do, you just do it. She just left it up to the Lord and how he was going to meet the need some way, somehow. And that brings me to the second highlight beneath the surface. And that is this, that amazing faith moves the hand of God. Amazing faith moves the hand of God. I want to turn quickly to Luke's gospel. I want to read to you another passage of scripture that is familiar to many of us. In Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse 1, we find when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, a highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I, I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Notice in this text, once again, that Jesus was amazed at the faith of this centurion. And that word amazed there simply means he was in awe. He was in wonder. He admired this faith. See, amazing faith doesn't quit. Amazing faith uh, doesn't have to have all the details or know how God's going to work it out. It only knows God is in control. I brought this thing to God. He's going to do it and end the story. That was in Mary's case. Mary said, uh, I just do whatever he tells you to do. She wasn't concerned with any of the details. She believed he knows what, what the need is. He knows how to respond. I brought it to him, and I'll leave it there. The centurion recognized, I don't, I don't even need the Lord in the room with me. He doesn't even have to come in my house. All he's got to do is just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. May God grant us that we would have that kind of same faith, that amazing faith that, that moves God's heart. See, 
Now, we notice that Jesus turned the water into wine. But he didn't just do that. The Bible tells us that when the, the master of the ceremony, the MC, if you will, tasted this uh, wine, he marveled because he said, everybody always serves the best wine first, and then when everybody's feeling nice and really can't tell any different, then they take the best away and they give you the worst because you don't know any better at that point. Right? That, that was, that, that's what the world has to offer. And so now, check this out. This is what happens to the, uh, us in the world, right? We seek out something, and initially it really moves us. And, and then all of a sudden, as we get into that place, and we get now drawn in and possibly addicted, now it takes away the best, and now you're left with difficulty, yeah. hardship, yeah. trouble. See, the world, happiness and joy always starts out good, but it doesn't end so good, does it? However, Jesus not only turned the water into wine, the guy said, this is the best wine. You saved the best for last, which is the third highlight of, of what's beneath the surface. And that is that the joy that God gives is far superior to the happiness the world offers. See, the, the, the word best there means to be superior, of greater quality. So what we need to see here is this is not about physical wine. What th this whole passage is dealing with the fact that there are two examples of, of joy or happiness. One that the world has to offer, which in the end doesn't meet the need and is temporary at best, will always run out. And then there's what the Lord has to offer, which is the best, which is the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory, which is the joy that truly satisfies the soul, you see. Why? Because the, the happiness, the wine that this world has to offer is outward and superficial. But the wine that Jesus offers is inward. It's of the spirit. And that's what truly meets the needs of our soul. And that's what this text is all about. That Jesus Christ is the only one who can give us the best wine. He's the only one that can give us true joy. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, and the second one is joy, joy. The, the Holy Spirit, once he comes indwelt in the hearts of the believer, one of the fruit, one of the characteristics, one of the things that he develops in all of our lives is the joy that comes only from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can't replicate it by things that this world has to offer, you see. Great joy. It's why, though lacking what this world says will bring happiness, we, the people of God, have the best wine, the best joy. Haven't you noticed that you may look at somebody and, and on the surface, they have everything that life could have to offer. They have a house that's bigger than yours. In fact, you don't even own a house. You got an apartment. And, and they have all the best furniture. They have all the latest gizmos and gadgets. They got iPhone 11, 13, 15. They got iPhone 20. And you still got your old flip 
phone that you're still working on and all that kind of stuff. They had, they had the, a souped up, a BMW, and you're driving a beat up Pinto, Ford Pinto. They have everything that this world says will bring you happiness, but they're miserable. You have none of those things, but you got the joy of the Lord. You see, Jesus saves the best wine. He offers us the best wine, you see. We may not be monetarily rich, but we're rich in our soul, you see. Now, let's get to how the miracle worked. Jesus goes to the servants, and he tells the servants, see, there are six stone jars. Fill them up with water, all right? Again, let's look beneath the surface of what's going on. Well, biblically, six is the number of man. So these six stone jars represent man. In fact, the word stone there means earthen of the earth. And again, man comes from the earth, right? God formed man from, from the earth. So these six stone jars represent man. Now the water poured in, now that symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling the servant, get the spirit in and then draw it out and take it to the knee. So here is our fourth beneath the surface. The Lord will use us to bring joy to others. You see, the Lord will use us. We represent God's people. We represent those six stone jars. In and of themselves, they're standing there. They have no use. They're, they're useless. They were empty at the time. And you and I, once we come into the kingdom, what we need is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Not so that we can get goosebumps. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves. But the Lord wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that what is in us can be drawn out and given to others to bring joy. You see, God wants to use you and I as his people to bring joy to others. Jesus didn't have to do any of that. He could have looked at the jars and said, be filled with wine. It would have happened miraculously. But instead, he used the water and, and used the service, pour in the water, take out the water, and go take it to the, to the master of the ceremonies. And the Bible said nobody knew the process, but the servants, now they knew the process, you see. They knew what was going on. The Lord wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can bring joy to others. And the key to that is obedience. Now, I know that that's a word that oftentimes we just don't like to hear. It just doesn't sit well in our natural ear. Obedience, 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 obedience. But, but what does it mean for us? It means this. Think about these servants. Mary's telling him, you do whatever he tells you to do. So now, the key for us to seeing God use us to bring joy for others is simply do what the Lord tells you to do. Say what God tells you to say. Go where God tells you to go. If you and I will, will, will walk in faith in that simple obedience of recognizing that 
Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Remember, we talked about that last week, that Jesus said that about himself. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Jesus walked a life of obedience to the Father. Well, for us, God desires to use us and wants to use us to bring joy to others. How is that going to happen? Well, God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can then be poured out and bring joy to others. God will use us to bring joy to the hearts of those who need it, you see. It's why during this pandemic, I know it's difficult to get together. I know it's hard to really minister to people, but I really believe with all my heart that if we will listen to the Lord, the Lord will show us ways that we can meet other people's needs. He will, know, he will show us how we can, uh, what words we're to say. And the key is, we first need to go before God and say, Lord, you're giving me a new day. Now fill me with your spirit. Let the water of the Holy Spirit come and fill me. But Father, so that you might then use me to be poured out into somebody's lives. Use me. Maybe it's a phone call that I got to do. Oh God. Maybe it's just some groceries I got to take and leave it at somebody's front door with a little note. Uh, whatever it might be, God, show me what to do, God, and I will do it so that you can use me to bring joy to others. And notice, there's no praise that went to the stone jars. Nobody goes around and says, ooh, stone jars, what they did. Nobody even remembers the servants that brought the water to the master of ceremonies. The Bible tells us that the one that got the glory was Jesus Christ. It's just a, a reminder to us that we are simply channels for God's grace and mercy that will he will use us to bring joy to others. And it's not about you and I getting recognition or not. It's all about Jesus and the joy that he has available for those who desperately need it. We live in a time where more and more people are battling depression. People are, are discouraged because of either loss of job or just the inability to get together with friends or family members. And, and there's a lot of people getting stir crazy. We want to pray, God, help us uh, not to do that. Help us not to cross over the line and do something foolish. And the key for that is, God, here's what I want. I can do. I can go to you, ask you to fill me with the Spirit so that you can use me and show me how I can be a blessing to somebody, to bring joy to somebody who needs it so desperately. Worship team, if you would come back up, please. We're talking about what's beneath the surface. And in this passage, this, these 11 verses, we highlighted four things that are beneath the surface in that, in that you initially would not see this if you were just looking on the surface of what you were reading and taking that at face value. But no, we realize that this is all about the wine, the contrast between the, the wine, the happiness that this world has to offer, and the joy that Jesus has to offer, which is the best wine. And in that, we recognize that what this world has to offer will run out. 
Maybe this message for you today is to recognize that you, you've been chasing a lot of things to try to bring you happiness. But only one can bring you the true joy that your soul needs. And that's Jesus Christ. And we all need to have this amazing faith because it's amazing faith that moves the hand of God. And for faith to be amazing, you simply have to say, I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. I'm going to bring the petition to him and then trust him. I don't have to badger God for all the details of how he's going to work it out. God will work it out in such a way that he will be glorified and my need will be met. That's amazing faith. I don't need anything special to happen. Sometimes, listen, let me just add a quick little thought about that because some people think that the pastors hold a special power with God. And so, no, i got to have the pastor to pray for this. No, you don't. Your voice is just as powerful before the throne of grace as mine is. No more, no less. What, what God is looking for is, do you believe in your heart? Do you have that faith that if I move, if I, if I come before God believing and just simply saying, God, all I need is a word from you, and then it'll be taken care of. Work it out in such a way so that you will be glorified. And God will do the rest. Amen.